was happening? A good Tuesday to all of you. Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope all of you had a great Christmas, had a fantastic weekend. We'll get to the Celtics later on, but we start with the Patriots. And of course, I totally set up that special teams touchdown on Sunday night, didn't I? <laughs> as soon as I laugh about the special teams and I laugh about the idea of them scoring, here you are. Here you have it. A special teams touchdown on Sunday night. Of course, it was just going to happen. Patriots go into Denver. They beat the Broncos 26-23. And here are my three big takeaways. Let's start with the quarterback position. Bailey Zappi exceeded expectations on Sunday night. You had no Ramondre Stevenson. You had no Juju Smith-Schuster. You had no Hunter Henry. Your offensive line was in flux, right? Trent Brown did not start. As we know, Antonio Maffi did not start. So your left side of the offensive line was all over the place walking into this game. You're playing at Denver. You're playing against a team that is hunting for the playoffs. All of those circumstances, when you think about the situation that Zappi was in, he played better than I anticipated him playing, which says a lot about him. I mean, he made the play. He made the play at the end of the game. When you absolutely needed a play, you absolutely needed a throw. There he was, making that throw to Devontae Parker. And I would also give credit to Parker, who made a play. We've seen a couple of times this year, at least four or five times this season, a wide receiver letting his quarterback down by dropping the football. Parker makes the play on that 50-50 slash 80-20 ball late in the fourth quarter. And I think what really stands out about Zappi versus Mac Jones is just Zappi's ability to make plays off platform. He doesn't always have to be on schedule. Now, that might eventually come back to bite him. It did come back to bite Mac when he started to extend plays a little too often and try to do too much and made mistakes because of it. But Zappi's ability to move around the pocket, to break away from pressure, to extend plays, to do all of those things, he does better than Mac Jones. There's no doubt about that. Mac Jones is more of a platform quarterback. He's more of a pocket passer, a guy who's not going to do too much of that. And you saw Zappi's ability to make plays. He made the play to Pop Douglas downfield. Fantastic stuff by him. The Mike Kosicki touchdown was a great play by Zappi. His ability to get more out of plays that you don't think you're going to get anything out of separates him. There's no doubt after watching him the last few weeks. And of course, it starts with the mistakes, the interceptions, and Zappi had zero of those. So taking care of the football. He obviously got blasted to start this game, fumbled it. Some of that is on him. Most of it is on the offensive line because it was immediately a fire drill in the pocket on the first snap of the game. But Zappi's ability to extend plays, play off of the platform, give confidence to his teammates, there's separation there. Before I move on about Zappi and a lot more about this game, don't forget to give us that thumbs up. You know, we have like over 700 views on these videos, but only about 100, 120 likes. Just takes a second. That thumbs up means an awful lot. That's the way we beat the YouTube, al al YouTube algorithm and we grow the traffic here on this channel. So give us that like. Give us that thumbs up. Let's try to get to 200 likes today. Little effort from you means a lot for us. And don't forget to drop your comments in there. I see you. I see your comments. We need to get those subscriptions up as well on the YouTube channel. KG Buys jumps in and says, poise. Yes, yes, better poise. That's another thing you could say about Zappi. Now, I want to see Zappi be able to do this week in and week out after pressure, after pressure, after pressure, because, again, 
you tend to break, you tend to make those mistakes, those bad decisions because of the accumulation of the pressure, the accumulation of the hits. You know, David Carr did not enter the league as a broken PTSD quarterback in the pocket. He got that way because he was drilled a thousand times. So we'll see if Zappi has the ability to continue to show that poise if he continues to get drilled because it's still early on. But you can't say enough good things about Bailey in what he's done. He's been dropped into a situation that was very difficult, and he has more than handled himself well here. And Zappi's second half at Denver, he was tremendous. 25, no, 15 of 20, rather, 164 yards in the air, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. His passer rating in the second half was over 132. So one of the main questions we had about Zappi was the up-and-down nature of his play. He would have a really good first half. Second half, he would fall apart. And I said I wanted to see a complete game from Zappi. And for the most part, even though the football wasn't moving a ton in the first half, even though they weren't breaking the scoreboard, Zappi still played well in the first half. He played even better in the second half. So if you were waiting to see a complete game from Zappi, and as I called it, pumpkinitis, if he could get away from that pumpkinitis in the second half, it would mean a lot. He did that on Christmas Eve, a 132.1 passer rating in the second half, showing the poise, showing the confidence. I mean, let's think about this. This was a young man who was cut from this football team. He was given his walking papers. And Kurt Warner shared the story about how he got a text from Zappi when Zappi was doubting himself after being cut by Belichick. This is a quarterback who was told he wasn't good enough to make this team. This is a quarterback who nobody else in the league wanted to pick up when he was released. For him to go out there and show that confidence on the road against a team trying to make the playoffs with all of those things we talked about to start this podcast going against him, all the absences, the offensive line shuffling, that is an unbelievable amount of confidence from Zappi. And let's not forget, not only was he cut at the beginning of the year, he was also benched. He was benched in favor of Malik Cunningham in Vegas. So just tremendous, tremendous confidence shown. KJ Bai says the PTSD narrative is so fake. No, it's not. It's it's affected a lot of quarterbacks, KJ. It stands to reason. When you keep getting popped by rushers, it tends to get in your head. You get happy feet. Did you see Mahomes against Vegas yesterday? Even the best in the business getting constantly rushed. He was scattered. He was all over the place. Did you see Russell Wilson on Sunday night? That's a real thing. It's not a narrative. It's a real thing. And it's common sense. Quarterback continues to get drilled and continues to get pressure on him. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to feel that pressure. Jay Sry Ram says, WTF, are we even talking about? Zappy ceiling is five wins per season, period. Let's stop bleeping around and try to at least find our future quarterback. If not, then I ain't even watching this. Nobody is saying Bailey Zappi is the future at the quarterback position. Nobody is anointing him QB1 for the next 10 years. Nobody's saying any of that. We don't need to move the goalposts. This is a conversation about what he did on Sunday night. And if you can't give the guy respect for what he did on Sunday night, then your bias is getting in the way. Just because we give credit to somebody doesn't mean we think they're going to be a Hall of Fame player. So we 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 don't need to anoint Bailey Zappi because he's played a good game in Denver. But we also don't need to crap on the guy 
or say, what are we even doing and go to that extreme when he played well? It's a very simple, reasonable approach I believe we take with this podcast. Give credit when credit is due. Give criticism when criticism is due. And by the way, if, and it's a, it's a gigantic if, but if Zappi ended up being a QB1, how is that bad for anybody who watches this football team? Let's just say hypothetically that Zappi proves the football world wrong and ends up being somebody who could legitimately play the position. Is that not great news? Is that not great news for you, the Patriots fan? Is it not great news for the Patriots media? It would be a fantastic story if Zappi could end up being a QB1 because you have a guy who's your starting quarterback making pennies, which means you could devote the $75 plus million in cap space to help figure out all the other problems you have offensively. It means you don't have to worry about drafting a quarterback in April. It means you don't have to worry about going out in free agency and finding that quarterback if you do not draft a quarterback in April. So, I mean, Zappy QB1 would be awesome. I'm not going there, and I'm not going to go there for a while. But it would be a fantastic story for everybody who watches this football team. Dima297 says, Merry Christmas, everybody. Zappy is very limited physically. Yes, he was good, and congrats. But leave. let's leave it there. Again, I'm just going to tell you the way the guy played on Sunday night. I'm not telling you how great he's going to be next week. I'm not telling you how great he would be in 2024. None of that stuff. None of that stuff. What do you think they will do with Mac after the uh, offseason? No idea. It depends, Mike. Uh, if, you know, if they if they sign a free agent quarterback, it depends on if they draft a quarterback. There is a scenario that Mac Jones comes back as the backup. I think, though, as Zappi continues to prove that he's at least an NFL talent as far as a backup quarterback goes, it's very, very, very unlikely that Mac Jones is back in 2024 as a Patriot. Because now if you're looking at it, you say, we know we got Zappi who could be QB2. Let's move Mac Jones and hopefully we get a pick. Even if it's a fifth round pick, fourth round pick, conditionally, whatever it is, we can move Mac and get something for him. And we keep Zappi as QB2. And then we go out and we get that future franchise QB1. So I, I think it's very unlikely as Zappi continues to play and he continues to prove that he can play well in stretches. It's very unlikely that Mac is back. All right, second biggest takeaway from this game. Before we talk draft, because I know a lot of people want to talk draft, and I understand why. It is a major, major story this offseason. However, before we talk about that draft, can I just say this team cares? This team gives an ish. And I know some of you will say, yeah, but it hurt our draft. I'm not talking about how it affects fans. I'm not talking about how it affects media. I'm not even talking about how it impacts the This team cares. And let's just look at it from the team standpoint. That means a lot. This team continues to compete. This season is lost. No chance at the playoffs. You're on the road playing against a team that is fighting for their playoff lives. On Christmas Eve night, you had to jump on a plane and fly to Denver during the Christmas season to play this primetime game, walking into that game with three freaking wins. And the fact that they showed up, they competed, they played hard, I think that says a lot. The Zappy story says a lot about him. Chad Ryland, who has been justifiably lambasted for his performance at kicker, shows up at the end of the game making a 56-yard field goal. I understand 
the frustration. I understand why people are pissed. I do. I understand that. But just look at it from Chad Ryland's point of view. This guy is trying to keep his job. He was just drafted. He has embarrassed himself multiple times this year, and he had a chance to put all of that behind him and make a very difficult kick, an incredibly, incredibly difficult situation, and he nails it. Split the uprights. Says a lot about Chad Ryland's ability to come back and not crap himself. The defensive effort, the defensive production for three quarters on Sunday night. It shows that this team is professional. It shows that this team does have a culture in that locker room. Look around the NFL with some of these losing teams. They continue to find ways to lose. Some of them just straight up tap out on their coaching staff and teammates. There's obviously belief in this staff from the players. Bill Belichick did not quit on his team late in this game. Outcoached Sean Payton, especially late in the fourth quarter, by forcing Payton to use those timeouts. So I will just say, again, I understand the draft stuff. I understand the frustration. But I do think this team deserves credit for not just quitting. And I know that that might sound ridiculous, but look around the league. How many times have you seen teams that have no chance to make the playoffs? They just don't care. They go into business for themselves. You're not seeing this with the Patriots. Christian Barmore has been a beast. He's not tapping out. Josh Uche was great on Sunday night. He's not tapping out. Barmore is playing like an all-pro. Barmore is literally one of the best interior defensive linemen in football for the past two-plus months. And that's what you can gain. Even in a losing season, Christian Barmore continues to improve. And now you can look at him in 2024 and beyond, as long as he stays healthy, as a building block on this team, as a guy who could be a legitimate top-five talent at his position. And the Patriots don't have a lot of those guys. Fact. JN jumps in, says, I wish John Henry cared about the Red Sox as much as the 3-11 and Patriots did on Sunday. Uh, we'll get to Henry, I think, tomorrow. My goodness. I, I want to talk about the Celtics later on. Uh, because of what they did on the road. All right, now let's get to the third biggest takeaway from Sunday, the draft. You slid from the number two pick to the number four pick. And I understand the frustration, as I said. And you look at these other teams, Arizona, they play at Philadelphia, and then they play against the Seahawks. So if you look at that, I don't believe Arizona wins one of those two games. I think Arizona is likely to lose out. You look at Washington, they play against the 49ers after the Niners were croaked last night by Baltimore, and then they play Dallas. I don't think you can expect Washington to win another game this year. Carolina at Jacksonville and then versus Tampa Bay. If Carolina plays as hard as they played against Green Bay, they could actually sneak one of those games, but it really doesn't matter now because you're at four wins. Patriots, of course, will play at Buffalo, and then they play against the Jets at Gillette Stadium. So if you're looking at this, I would say the most likely result is that the Patriots end up with the fourth pick. That's the most likely result if they lose out. And how all of that breaks down, Patriots are guaranteed a top four pick if they lose out. They're guaranteed a top seven pick if they lose one more game. And they can't finish lower than ninth now, uh, thankfully, because uh, the Jets got to six wins. So that is the outlook as far as the draft goes. I've said this in the top five, there's still special talent. You got the quarterbacks, you got Marvin Harrison Jr., you've got Alt, you've got others. And really, I just, 
I don't think we can get too, too far about what's going to happen in the future here because we just don't know. You still have the full evaluation process to go through once this season ends. You've got the scouting combine. You've got the pro days. You've got more film being watched. We don't know. We have no idea if Chicago, for example, what if they win their last two games and Justin Fields walks into the offseason playing some great football? Does Chicago pick a quarterback? Does Chicago try to trade Fields? What do they do? We don't know. What will Arizona do? They have Kyler Murray with a bunch of money owed to him. Will Arizona pick a quarterback or will they keep Murray? Will they look to trade the pick? We have no idea. We don't even know who's going to be running the operation in Washington. Chicago might have a new GM once this season is over. And we have no clue who is going to be running the ship here in New England. So there's so many unknowns. I don't think we can get too far with the draft conversation. I understand looking at it, and we will talk about it, but inevitably we have to see how this season finishes up, and by the time we get to early April, what is being said then about some of these quarterbacks and some of these prospects? Because as we know, things tend to change. Don't forget to give us that thumbs up. A thumbs up means an awful lot. More likes means more eyeballs. It's an algorithm YouTube has. We have to smash it. If you like what we're doing here, give us that thumbs up. Also throw a comment in, and don't forget to subscribe, trying to build those subscriptions. Devin Allen jumps in and says, that win turned a two-year rebuild into a five-year rebuild. Nothing good came from it. Again, Devin, I understand the frustration, but I, I just I don't agree with that because we don't know what's going to happen. We have no idea. What if the Patriots get aggressive and they trade up? And Devin, by the way, thank you for that uh, $1.99 super chat. I appreciate it. Uh, I love donations. Uh, don't make a dime off of this outside of the ads that we have here. So, Devin, I really, really appreciate uh, the donation during this show today. And if you're listening on Spotify and Apple Pods, don't forget to rate and review. Thank you, Devin. Again, the two-year rebuild thing into a five-year rebuild, we don't know. We have no idea. We have no idea. And I know that might sound like fence-sitting, but it's true. We, we have no clue. Speaking of change, all right. Does Sunday night change Robert Kraft's mind about Bill Belichick? The Patriots have now won two of the last three. Both of those wins were on the road. Both of those wins were in prime time. And if you're Robert Kraft looking at this team, as I mentioned, competing, playing hard, winning two of the last three, does that change anything for Robert Kraft? Does he look at Bill Belichick and say, hmm, maybe I need to pump the brakes a little bit on this firing Bill thing? Me, I would say not yet. I, I think you still look at Belichick and what this season has been. The fact is you beat Mitchell Trubisky in a, in a Steelers team that wasn't very good. Uh, you also have a great history against the Steelers. You're 14-4 and four with Belichick as coach against Pittsburgh. So I think that Pittsburgh win with the context isn't especially fantastic. In Denver, again, I just talked, what, 17, 18 minutes about how great the Patriots you know, we're on Sunday night and all the good things, but we also have to look at Denver. Woof. And Denver did not show up in the first half. They, they handed you a special teams touchdown. Denver was a mess for most of this game, and that is part of the conversation. And we also can't forget that Cortland Sutton, the best offensive player for the Broncos, got hurt with a head injury and missed the entire second half. So we have to be fair. And looking at the Pittsburgh win and the win on Sunday night, I don't think that's nearly enough to say, oh, Kraft is going to change his mind about Belichick. I mean, you think about just the quarterback situation. Let's not forget that Belichick decided to cut Bailey Zappi with no plan B. No plan B. He cut Zappi 
and did not have a plan B. Similar to the way that he really didn't have a plan once Brady left the team. I mean, think about that. Those same kinds of errors are being made. So he cut Zappy without plan B. He goes out and, and signs Matt Corral, who lasted a week and a half. He brought in Ian Book. I mean, Will Greer was the third option after they cut Zappy. That, that still happened. It took too long to pull the trigger to start Zappy. I had said that Zappy should be starting after that Colts game in Germany. I thought he should have played against New York. I thought Belichick was took too long on the trigger to make that happen. And his quarterback handling really overall post Brady has not been good. Has not been good. Stidham, Cam Newton, the, the way they handled Mac Jones, the 20-plus transactions at the most critical position this season. Those things don't just get wiped away because you beat a mediocre Pittsburgh team and a mediocre Denver team. It just doesn't. Rob Landry jumps in and says, I wish Belichick would relinquish personal decisions. Still feel like he is a great coach. I, I don't know if he's a great coach. I still think he's a good coach. I still think he's one of the better coaches in football. And that's more of an indictment on the rest of the game than it is sitting here puffing up Bill Belichick's chest. I question his fourth down decision-making, which we'll get into. I question the way he has handled certain moments in games, in-game management. You know, I question some of the execution by this team. So all of those things fall on the head coach. All of those things. Mike Larry jumps in and says, so hard to fire a 5-12 and 12 guy. I don't think it's hard. I don't think it's hard. But again, this is, this is Kraft, right? And what Kraft is thinking. And I don't know what he's thinking. But he knows that Belichick's been here for two-plus decades. He knows Belichick has made him a ton of money. He knows Belichick helped win six Super Bowls. All of those things. I'm not telling you that that should mean anything if you're firing Bill Belichick in 2023 or 2024 in about a week from now. But what I'm telling you is the guy who's making that ultimate decision, those things might play a role. Mike Pyle says, I love your show. Listen to it every day. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Give us the thumbs up. See those numbers? They're creeping up. More people are watching the program because we're starting to beat that algorithm. Give us that thumbs up. Also, comment, and don't forget to subscribe. All right, let's talk about more reasons why I don't think the two out of three games that the Patriots have won here is, is changing Kraft's mind in this moment. And it goes back to what I just mentioned a moment ago, the decision-making. Let's not forget how Belichick handled the second half against Kansas City. That was ridiculous. That was absolutely ridiculous and inexcusable. They, they really stopped playing on offense. They, they waved the white flag against the Chiefs. Let's not forget about that. Also, let's not forget about the first half against Denver and some of the decisions that were made by Belichick in that first half. Did you enjoy the fourth and two punt from the New England 47 from a three-win team? Again, Belichick being super-duper uber-conservative. In that first half. How about the third and 16 run with Ezekiel Elliott? <laughs> Staring at a 45-plus yard field goal. Third and 16. Let's not try to get, you know, 8 to 10 yards. Let's just, let's just hand the football off and, and try for an almost 50-yard field goal. Those decisions still happened. Even though you won, those decisions still happened. And those are an issue, and they've been an issue. Because when we're looking at Belichick and we're looking at this decision by Kraft, we're looking into the future. 
And you need to feel confident that Belichick is going to evolve with the game and understand how crucial offense is. And he needs to be so much more aggressive than he has been. So even though they won on Sunday night, you look at some of those decisions and they continue to tell you that Belichick, he's not evolving offensively with the game. Ryan Goldberg jumps in, says, did you see Brock Purdy last night? Need a quarterback to elevate and win games. I did see Purdy. That was gross. But I'd also say it's tough to find a quarterback that can elevate talent. That's just a fact. It's, It's really tough. You might find the two or three guys that are unicorns in the league, but the vast majority of quarterbacks are good quarterbacks, not necessarily great quarterbacks that need talent around them. Look at Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Mahomes with that wide receiver core right now, and Travis Kelsey, who looks like a shell of himself, Mahomes is struggling. They've lost, what, three of their last five? And Mahomes is the greatest playing the game right now. He is the number one guy. So when you look at offensive line play, you look at wide receivers, that impacts the quarterback position. I said it with Mack. I'll say it with Zappi. I'll say it with Mahomes. I'll say it with every quarterback in the league. Inevitably, when you have limited weapons around you in an offensive line that is shuffling or not playing well, the quarterback's play is going to be impacted by that negatively. That's just common sense. It's not a take on the quarterback. It's not defending the quarterback. It's giving you the truth. Mahomes is having his toughest stretch as an NFL quarterback in quite some time, maybe ever, and it's not because Mahomes woke up in the morning and forgot how to play QB. It's because his wide receivers are dropping footballs. It's because his offensive line was giving up pressure every single snap yesterday. So I stay consistent with that. Back to Belichick, he's lost close games. People say, oh, well, they've lost a lot of one-score games, Nick. That's the NFL. I think it's like 60% of NFL games are decided by one possession. That's the NFL. You need to win those games more than you lose them. and. They've lost, yes, a number of one-score games. Win the close ones. Now, the personnel questions, I I don't know how anybody can get over that. We've been through all of the personnel decisions. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is about to have a 1,000-yard receiving season, and they decided, Belichick decided to not sign that guy on the cheap for no reason whatsoever. Can't justify that decision at all in any kind of way, in my mind. The coaching staff decisions, the tight circle that Belichick keeps, And Buffalo coming up at Buffalo will be very interesting because you play a quarterback who's in the top tier. You're on the road. Buffalo, of course, lost at New England earlier in the season. They're going to be super motivated. So that is going to be a big-time challenge. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Pods, rate and review. Flying Elvis jumps in and says, at pick four, it's LSU's quarterback, Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels is creeping up boards. And if you read some stuff, Some people believe that Daniels might end up leapfrogging Drake May before we get to the draft. Now, some of that could be just pomp and circumstance, but Daniels is a name that we have to pay attention to. I said it last week. He grows more and more on me when I read about him. I watched him a couple of times. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm I'm some draft expert, but Daniels is an interesting name. All right, a couple of minutes on the Celtics. Love how they closed it out in L.A. yesterday. I love that fourth quarter. They attacked the paint. They showed urgency. They shared the basketball. That's how you close out a game. That's what you do. You don't settle for threes. You don't settle for step back threes. You don't settle for pull-ups. You move the ball. You attack the paint, and you show that urgency. 
And I thought the Celtics, a really professional response after collapsing against the Warriors. On the road, Christmas season, you're dealing with the holidays, and they were dominant. They were dominant against Sacramento without Jason Tatum. They were dominant against the Clippers, and then they were mostly dominant yesterday against the Lakers outside of the second quarter. Team basketball, 31 assists, only eight turnovers in that game. That's crazy. You get 30 assists in 10 or less turnovers, you are playing basketball at a very high level offensively, and that's what we saw. Six guys in double figures. Kristaps Porzingis was a monster in the third quarter. He finished with 28 and 11. He was a plus 16. Porzingis went healthy is the difference maker. And I said that when the trade was made. You can go back and you can look through the posts on X slash Twitter. And as soon as that Porzingis deal was made, I had said that guy could be the biggest impact player. He is a change the game, change the team kind of guy because he brings a lot of what the Celtics didn't have. Post-up offense, versatility defensively, rim protection. They had it in Robert Williams was when the Time Lord was healthy. His ability to score at all three levels. His passing ability out of double teams. Porzingis is a huge difference maker. And again, he proved it yesterday. The guy has been the balls. Pat Almeida jumps in and says, fourth quarter execution was so good to see. Finished out the road trip strong. abso freaking lootly. Team basketball. Holiday. Drew. Porzingis shot a combined 26 for 42. That's almost 62% from the field. <laughs> it's outrageous. 20 rebounds, 20 dimes, five blocks. And are they starting to figure out the third quarter? The third quarter had been an issue for this team early on in this season and even in stretches last year. John Corrales from CLNS, he posted this last night. Before the road trip, Boston's offensive rating in road third quarters was 94. That was second worst in the NBA. On this four-game road trip, their third quarter offensive rating was 151 and a half. That was best in the league. If this team starts figuring out third quarters, if this team consistently closes out games against good teams and they're healthy, watch out. I mean, Tatum had 25. Jalen Brown had 19. The C's only shot 31% from three. Anthony Davis had an out-of-body experience, and the Celtics cruised to the win. And this team has proven, and it goes into the Porzingis stuff. It goes into Tatum's shot profile, him posting up and being a little bit more aggressive, taking it to the bucket. The Celtics have won a number of games this year, hovering around 30% from three. And last season, that was not the case. This team is proving that they can win in more than one way. And that means an awful lot when you get to the postseason. And by the way, do you know what the record is when this team has its starting five? The Celtics are 15-1 and one when they have their starting five. Don't forget, like. Give us that thumbs up if you're watching, trying to get to 200 likes on this channel today. Give us that like. Give us that thumbs up. Takes a second of your time if you're watching on YouTube. If you're watching on Twitter, you can comment. We now get those comments right here through the stream, which is awesome. And don't forget to subscribe. We're trying to get subscriptions up as well so we can grow this network. I appreciate every single one of you. I hope you had a great holiday weekend. We are back at it tomorrow at 11 a.m. sharp right on this channel. You don't want to miss it. More Patriots talk and maybe, maybe just some bashing of the Red Sox after what I read over the weekend. Until then, everybody have a fantastic day. It is the Nick Cattle Show.